Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Thank you for listening. Whether you are a new listener or a seasoned fan, we are so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Please take a moment to explore our previous episodes and be sure to subscribe to Conversations so you can join us for future episodes. Today, we are excited to welcome Wendy Pistrew, President and CEO of United Way of Greater Toledo. Wendy has served as President of United Way since 2018 when she moved to Toledo after serving as Vice President of Demographic Health and Wellness for the Bon Secours Virginia Health System in Richmond, Virginia. A native of Texas, Wendy holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's in education from the University of Houston, and her Juris Doctorate from Capital University Law School in Columbus. Early in her career, Wendy spent time in education and healthcare before dedicating more than 20 years to nonprofits. Her many noteworthy accomplishments include establishing programs for young adults with autism, a center for neuromodulation, and a standalone hospice facility. Hi, Wendy, and thank you for being our guest today. Wendy, welcome to the Conversations podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that we get to have this conversation. And even though I've met you before and I'm familiar with the United Way, I'm really looking forward to learning more about you as a person and your vision for the United Way and what you've been able to do. And so I'm thrilled that you're able to be with us today. Well, I appreciate it so much. And it's a great opportunity. And United Way, you know, it's 105 years old. And so trying to dispel some myths is always a great opportunity and getting people in touch with the newer version of the work. That's wonderful. One of the questions we ask all of our guests is about their journey to higher education, to and through. When did you realize that you wanted to pursue education beyond high school? Well, you know, I don't think I really felt like I ever had a choice. I was a Mm -hmm. child that was really fortunate to be growing up in a home with college-educated parents, and uh, all of my grandparents were college-educated. So, Mm -hmm. in fact, I didn't know that you couldn't go. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) I didn't know there was an option. (laughs) And I always think your higher education experience is one of those things that you, I always say this, you can take it for granted pretty quickly in life. Mm -hmm. You finish it, you work so hard, it means the world to you, but then you go through life and maybe don't fully appreciate what it means to check that box that you have aspired to that level of the work Mm -hmm. and experience. And I find it fascinating that the thing that I care most about in some ways, or if you tried to take it from me, I take for granted Mm -hmm. so often too. So you are not originally from Northwest Ohio. You hail from the great state of Texas. And so your educational background is at UT Austin, right? Correct. Yes. All right. And so tell me a little bit about that and how did that impact your life and about what brought you to Northwest Ohio? Well, it's kind of funny. So I got into Notre Dame, actually. I was planning to go to South Bend, and Mm -hmm. I thought that would be fun. Uh, You know, the only one from my school who was going to do it. Got sick my senior year of high school. Got a bad kind Mm -hmm. of lung infection thing. And my mom was worried about me going too far away. About that Mm -hmm. time, we're putting in housing deposits and thinking about, you know, Mm -hmm. what you're going to do. She said, I'd like you to be a little closer, like, you know, drive away so I can get to you if you need something. Well, I got all better and that kind of thing. But UT wasn't necessarily my first choice. That is the University of Texas, not the University of Toledo. always make that. (laughs) distinction. About a weekend, I totally forgot that I ever wanted to go to another school or thought about it. I was elected Uh to the student senate. I pledged a sorority. I loved being in Austin, a great town if you've ever visited. Mm -hmm. By the way, the education part of it was really cool too. (laughs) You know, um, switched majors actually part of the way through. I was going for broadcast journalism and then 
uh, worked part-time in a hospital and fell in love with what care delivery looked like and mm-hmm. changed to a nursing major and never regretted it. A lot of fun. Wow. When you think about your educational journey, you know, starting in broadcast journalism, then switched to nursing, and then you went to law school at Capitol. It was funny. In my nursing career, I actually moved to Houston out from Austin, went mm-hmm. to work for the Texas Heart Institute, mm-hmm. and um, it was a great experience to be a research nurse. Now, I did get a master's education in between there, and okay. so I taught school for a little bit. One of the things I was working on as a nurse was really thinking about how people learn more about their physical health and wellness and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I wanted to be able to teach more effectively in that space. Mm -hmm. What was kind of funny in the education journey, I just became fascinated by what you could do with a law degree Mm -hmm. and advocate for people, advocate for health equity. Because I was a transplant nurse, specifically heart transplant, I got very engaged and wrote papers out of law school related to transplants. So, you know, wanted to see policy change there and just try to promote better standards of care and and to go back to that equity space and really think about that as a practitioner, but then also how you affect the the policies and things that affect people. And so what drew you specifically to the Toledo area? So my husband, also an academic medical center guy, and I had after, you know, being with uh, Texas Heart Institute and Ohio State Wexner Medical Center, Temple, my whole life had really been defined by that. We were in Virginia. He does the medical analytics for the Michigan Health System, and historically, Mm -hmm. he's actually an economist, and that's his zone. Mm -hmm. And so he took an appointment at the University of Michigan, and admittedly, I was like, well, what am I going to do in in that region? And It was great because, you know, some old friends of mine from when I had lived in Ohio before recommended this position at United Way. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because it took a lot of things that I had learned about over a lifetime and Mm -hmm. a lot of experiences and sort of came to a place where you thought you could make a difference as a professional, as a person. And then the most incredible people work there. So it's the happiest, best job ever. And I've had some great jobs, but this Mm -hmm. one, this position in life is perfect. That is wonderful. You really could see how everything just kind of put you on this path that you probably, I'll speak for me, I probably wouldn't have known that I was on that path until you kind of reached the destination. And that's kind of the fun part of your education along with your personal experiences and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And I I always think with young college students when Mm -hmm. they're thinking about what they're going to major and you're like, you will have no idea how you'll end up, you know. (laughs) And that's okay. My mother used to say she lacks focus because I kept majoring in different things. But it came to a place where, you know, you you look back on it, you're just glad you had the experience and the education mm-hmm. to get there. It's funny. When I worked in higher ed, I had long graduated. And I remember one of my uncles saying, Lord, have mercy, girl. When are you going to graduate? And I'm like, Unc, I'm working at <laughs> <laughs> school stuff. <laughs> so. I had an uncle that said, you love school so much, you just wanted to go teach it too, you know? <laughs> when you talk about your career and your career path, you've talked about equity, you talked about care for other people that nonprofit work piece. And so being in healthcare, all the things that you've done. And so that sounds as though that has really been a passion of yours. And you said that United Way is the best job ever and you work with incredible people. Can you talk a little bit about what you do and how you found your passion there? You know, it's funny. So my first experience with the United Way ever was actually when I was in high school and they had what they called the United Way flame. And you would go to the United Way luncheons. This was kind of back when they would do the big campaigns in the Mm -hmm. fall. And I was like the Vanna White of our local United Way. And I would go pick up the checks and 
do the little thermometer with mm-hmm. the toe, you know, like we've raised this much money and all that kind of uh-huh. thing. I had a little uniform I wore and everything. <laughs> and that was the last time I spent any time with the United Way. So coming into this job, it was it was an interesting thing to appreciate its power. It takes a position in the community where I think it can really deliver on some things. And our United Way in particular, and especially because we have the team that we do, have moved into community analytics. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little different for United Way. I think, you know, over the years, people think of them as raising money, then putting it back out into the community. But when we're investing in those programs and really trying to make a change, we need to be measuring it more effectively and really overlaying the information and creating more community planning Mm -hmm. in the nonprofit space. What does that look like is, you know, kind of a big part of our work. The other thing we did at our local United Way that you may or may not be familiar with that people know 911, mm-hmm. but 211 is a referral source that you can text, chat, or call. Now, I didn't know a thing about 211 when I came to United Way. And when I took the job here in Toledo, I found out it had been outsourced to Cleveland. Cleveland is a wonderful place, but it isn't the best maybe place to have a local resource conversation. Mm-hmm. So we brought 211 back locally. And it's been great because we employ people locally. They're people who, when they are trying to help somebody find maybe a food pantry mm-hmm. or, you know, a place to get some assistance with housing, they understand what it feels like and looks like in our community in a way that mm-hmm. somebody in another place couldn't. And if anybody, um, and in any walk of life, you don't need to be in crisis. You don't need to, you know, be in a situation where it's you. You may know of somebody. We remind folks that, you know, it can be, uh, we have teachers call a lot for students. We Mm. have parishioners call for a church member. Maybe somebody's having trouble affording some medication Mm -hmm. or, you know, all these scenarios where a call to 211 is nice because it's anonymous. Mm-hmm. You can get the information you need. We have a number of resources on file. It can talk to a human being, which is nice, but you can also mm-hmm. text and chat through there. But it, I guess I always want to remind folks, it's, and then the information that we get from 211, when you make mm-hmm. that call, it goes into our database. And we better understand some needs and some trends in community and really use that to inform resources. Okay. So I always want folks to know 211 is just a, a really terrific opportunity to take care of someone. Right. So United Way really leaning in on how you create access, how you create assessment about community, Mm -hmm. and then tell that story. And so it's taken a few years for our organization to really get to this place, but now we're at a tremendous jumping off point. And I think it will help a lot of other community resources understand how they better serve. Mm -hmm. We work a lot with a population called ALICE, and it stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And in Lucas County alone, 72% of women-headed households live either at poverty level or this ALICE level. And what ALICE means is you're kind of paycheck to paycheck. You may not have retirement. You don't own your home. You don't have a lot of savings. So one car payment, one medical bill, it can Mm -hmm. really create a terrible cascade of poverty. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we at United Way really help these folks you know, create more financial stability. So the community analytics piece is something that is very new to me in terms of United Way's work. And so can you talk a little bit more about that? And even with that, what are some of the things that you're discovering about our community? Well, it's interesting because it is a whole new way to think about United Way. It's taking data science and contemporary versions of conversations, and especially around equity, how are we measuring who does what well? We do have a great team, and leading it as a doctorally prepared 
analytic specialist. I mm-hmm. mean, we went all in for somebody who really has this background, and she has very well-educated people with her mm-hmm. uh, in this process. And you don't want data to seem cold. So on the flip right. side, when we're looking at the data and assessing where to invest and what makes sense, we do have what is called a collective impact model, and this is a collaboration of partners. And we also have 37 community reviewers with lived experience. It's, mm-hmm. ex- you know, it's a very exhaustive process. But going back to where this analytics makes sense, it's so easy to sort of share out this information and for other funders to think about how they use it. And that's what we're striving for. The analytics basis we know when we're talking about like healthcare equity and we think about hospitals now are really trying to retool. How does mm-hmm. even and the thing that people get so scared about, but shouldn't artificial intelligence right. play into this so we can be more impactful as a funder and as somebody that is trying to help people access resources, taking all of this into consideration, but also making it open source. It has to be democratized. We can't use data for the purposes of becoming proprietary and keeping it from others. So our United Way has been a little bit of an incubator in this space. The Mm -hmm. national model is starting to lean in on this. Mm -hmm. And we're excited about what we can do, not just for our community, but maybe be instructive to others as well. Just another example of how Northwest Ohio is on the leading edge of certain things. And we get to do some of the groundbreaking work. I would imagine that you're tapped frequently to talk about what you're doing on a more national level in terms of United Way. It's been interesting because we did go a little different direction. And it's been an interesting thing to educate folks on Mm -hmm. it because so many folks, they just sort of know it from the 100-year standard. I'm also hoping, and this is the thing nationally, that younger generations can be inspired by United Way. I always Mm -hmm. say it's not your granddaddy's United Way. We've got a really different way to approach the work. And for that to include, I think, younger generations, whether they volunteer with United Way and really mm-hmm. help support the community agencies that are serving, or, you know, looking at that data. And then most importantly, think about a nonprofit career for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I would love to work with your students here at Owens or, you know, get some get in front of that opportunity to show them 12% of the workforce works in nonprofit. Absolutely. And we've made our careers in nonprofit Mm -hmm. because we believe that there's so much good that can be done. And I know we have students who are very much interested in nonprofit work. We have some nonprofit management classes, things of that nature. And so what advice would you give to prospective students who are interested in either nonprofit work or having some sort of community-wide impact with their careers? This is very dry, and it doesn't sound like a blast or anything. Really Mm -hmm. understanding the funding models for nonprofit, and then also where government funding and that sort of thing comes from, how that looks. There are so many folks that are passionate, they want to make a difference and help others, but got to have the resources financially to make that work in a nonprofit. And so being very astute about how those dollars come into an organization. This is one thing at United Way we're really trying to stress with our analytics work Mm -hmm. and with our partners. Exhaust the government resources first. Make sure those come in because the philanthropic resources need to be in that space that are, I think, more fungible and they they do, um, you know, sort of gap filling and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but I find that a lot of folks, when they get into, you know, an interest in nonprofit and they want to go down that road, Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating when the money isn't there to make your vision come true, to make something special. I was always frustrated by that as a nurse and as a teacher, and I think that's why law school was very helpful to me to understand Mm -hmm. that. That part of it. That makes a lot of sense because 
there's always more needs than there are resources. Looking at leveraging resources more effectively and, and that sort of thing, I think that's part of where our analytics shop is also helpful because that's that's got to be key in you avoiding the replication. That's a conversation in Toledo especially that is mm-hmm. very sensitive. With the collective impact model, you mentioned it in, in the analytics what exactly is the collective impact I know, model? Some of these words, right? There's always like this nonprofit speak, every, you know, and the acronyms and everything. And it's like, oh, um, <laughs> it kind of gets, it can make people feel tired. United Ways used to, there was historically sort of, you'd had a content expert on staff, say your mm-hmm. education expert or your housing expert or financial stability expert. It made more sense for us to invest in organizations who have content experts who do this all day, every day. And again, going back to how they leverage those dollars mm-hmm. and to bring them together and be advised by them to include their data because they have huge data sets that we can all put together. Mm-hmm. And when I go back to 211, 211 is now connected all over the country. It is the largest health and human services database in the world Wow! right now. So, and they're contracting with like FEMA and Epic Medical Records. So you think about, again, overlaying mm-hmm. these pieces of information, being able to map needs, map gaps, really create something that's illustrative of how a community can better resource itself and come together is Mm -hmm. key. But it is those partners coming in and informing us and helping us really get our arms around something that if we have content expert on staff, it'd be too much for that one person. Right, right. Well, it makes sense when you talk about maximizing your resources, leveraging your partners, not duplicating efforts. It really seems as though United Way is really working as a way to convene and facilitate lots of what needs to happen in the community versus just writing a check to different organizations. It's definitely what we're aspiring to and want mm-hmm. to be seen as a real leader in this space. I call it philanthropic advisement, too. I'd like for other funders, mm-hmm. we have a lot of corporate funders and you know organizations in town, to help them find paths so they see where their investments are really impactful, mm-hmm. but how it all comes together, too. Every month, we have a call, in fact, where we include, and I love it because Owen's representatives sit in on this call as well, mm-hmm. but we bring together corporate funders, elected officials, uh, folks from the community to get a better understanding of where the data is situated, what mm-hmm. we're seeing in the way of trends, going back to 211 and you know the volume of calls. Sometimes we mm-hmm. see the most interesting spikes in calls around things that would surprise folks. So right. it's good to have those check-ins. And I'm really impressed with how many elected officials do come to that call and ask for the information after. And so I, I hope this is a great resource for anyone in our community that is interested in trying to you know invest properly. That sounds absolutely amazing. And as you mention investment, congratulations because you've recently completed a campaign raising close to 7 million. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the initiatives or the areas of investment and what that means to the work of United Way? United Way sort of stands on very particular pillars that include financial stability, which like you have a financial opportunity center here mm-hmm. at Owens, which I think is such an amazing thing for students to be able to check in with. Because you do get a better sense of maybe some resources that are available, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially when you're in school. You need that kind of help. But financial stability is a big part of the work. Then we also have a pillar that's related to housing stability. That includes making sure people are, you know, staying in their homes, but mm-hmm. then also the homelessness population and how to better manage resources for them when they do need emergency shelter. That can include domestic violence quite mm-hmm. often and things that come out of somebody's control, obviously. Right. We have a health pillar, and that, a lot of that is like wellness-related services. Mm -hmm. One of our biggest concerns in Lucas County is we have one of the highest infant 
mortality rates in the country mm-hmm. and maternal mortality. Wow. And so addressing that, you can see where it gets better with financial stability mm-hmm. and management and housing and management and food and making sure those women have what they need so that they have healthy pregnancies. So you can see how it all ties together. And then, of course, the very important education pillar, investing right. in programming that you know obviously affects ch- small children all the way to those who want to aspire to higher education or training of some kind. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how does this come together? A couple of years ago, we've started really pulling data. We'd go to our early childhood space. Mm-hmm. And we were seeing that children, you know, have very low kindergarten readiness scores. Mm-hmm. And so the thinking naturally is, well, what could we do to better uh, equip parents and preschool and that sort of thing? But our data also told us the lead numbers were very high. Where the mm-hmm. scores were lowest, lead levels were highest. Isn't that something? So do we invest in getting those houses abated, the lead abated, and making Mm -hmm. sure those families are supported there so that ultimately all these parts of your education investment are meaningful. Right. It's interesting, though, because when you talk about that kind of community-wide approach and how you're using the funding to invest in really solutions, not necessarily something more symptomatic, you're really looking at the infrastructure and how things work together. Part of our interest, we understand very much that education is empowering and that um, for people who do not come from backgrounds, particularly those who don't come from backgrounds where education has been something common more of our first generation students, it's a transformational experience for everyone, but particularly for them and the social mobility that it provides and the outcomes, um, not only their earnings, but what it means for their health care what it means for their children's education, what it means for crime, all of those are so interrelated. And so you can't just do one thing. You have to be able to look at the multifaceted approach of how we approach you know, health in general of our communities. Going back to that financial stability as you're creating mm-hmm. it, and then how we as United Way work with you all to bring in solutions so students feel supported and like they can finish. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking to think a student has maybe daycare fall through or housing fall through, something that can cause, again, that cascade, mm-hmm. and then they can't complete their courses. They can't get their credits. And the funny thing right. is so many of your students are going on to do something is, of course, I'm biased, but as invaluable as nursing <laughs> is to our community, our wellness and everything else. We Mm -hmm. need your folks to be in good shape so that they can continue to care for others. Right. So it's fun to see how organizations like ours can work together Mm -hmm. and make that, you know, a possibility. Yeah, there's definitely an interdependence and an interrelatedness there. Can you talk a little bit more about how United Way has this approach in that community engagement? And and you talked about students and and healthcare and financial stability, things of that nature. What are some of the programs that really help people thrive? Right now, we've been doing for the last year and a half a very intensive research effort around food delivery. Mm. This community suffered pretty badly at the hands of some distribution models that were not very strong. Mm. Um, And the pandemic really exposed a lot of that. We've used a number of data sets from that experience about how we can improve that environment in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, Food, you know, if you think about it, quite often for a family will become the thing that they go without. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of older people do that. By the way, we have a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren in this Mm -hmm. community. I mean, things are going on that, that may not be as obvious. So, Right now, we were in intensive research offering, in fact, in the fall, a summit around food distribution in particular. And how mm-hmm. do we take all of these data sets, pieces of information? That includes campus 
food pantries, right. where students are trying to support themselves through school and their families. What we learn from that and then how our distribution models around food can be more effective and really address multi-generational impact. Mm-hmm. And I have the feeling universities, colleges, those organizations can be very instructive in this space. But it's one example of trying to pull it together so that, you know, the rent is paid, the light bill is paid, you do mm-hmm. have food, you know, you kind of check through these boxes and what does that look like? But we just found that food in particular was a distribution model that needed a lot of work here. Wow. That is amazing. That's amazing. Addressing those systemic issues requires those long-term strategies like what you mm-hmm. mentioned and the analytics approach and the community impact model. How does United Way approach community engagement and involve the residents of your service area in those decisions? So, as I said, we have community reviewers. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a nice opportunity, too, because the number of volunteer opportunities that are that are throughout the community, mm-hmm. um, we have great partners like the Metro Parks, mm-hmm. the Art Museum. You know, it's been a lot of fun to initiate some new opportunities because those organizations want everyone to feel the impact of their work. It's, it's bringing opportunities together. I think volunteerism is huge. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of folks that show up and volunteer for things. It's been amazing. In fact, during the pandemic especially, I couldn't believe how many people put themselves at risk, mm-hmm. put on a mask and gloves, and helped us put food kits together and get those distributed. So I think engagement can be so much about just identifying how you help your community. And we mm-hmm. see that a lot and, and showing up for that. And then we do have affinity groups, which are nice because when we talk mm-hmm. about equity issues, especially with women and people of color, we have organizationally affinity groups that address that specifically. A lot of discussion around leadership with young leaders and how mm-hmm. they can grow their career, but also grow personally in the nonprofit space as a volunteer. Not everybody can work in nonprofit. We do need folks to go to work for those for-profit <laughs> organizations. So it's creating opportunities where they can get a sense of what community looks like when you all chip in together. And mm-hmm. I've been intrigued by when I first got here and I realized, I guess this is not uncommon, but I would hear people say, well, we and they, us and them. And I'm like, no, we're all one. Mm-hmm. We got to, you can't look at it like that because any of us who are there to volunteer and help distribute resources right. can be on the other side of that very quickly. Absolutely. One diagnosis, one bad accident. What We, we all, in one way or another, live paycheck to paycheck, how that's defined for you. So I think really seeing it that way and why we all need to be together and, and I think look at this lens of equity, look at the volunteer opportunities, look at the many facets. Right of our distribution models and resources, it's essential. It really is recognizing that we're all part of a collective, we're all part of humanity. When you think about both of our organizations and the work that you do very directly in addressing challenges by individuals in our community and, and us, how we you know, know we have folks who are impacted by it, how do you see the influence of these economic disparities shaping your approaches to education, community-based services, support to, to residents, and, and how can our community as a whole, not just Owens and United Way, but you know the greater Northwest Ohio work together to be able to solve some of these challenges? So I've been struck since I moved to Ohio when I was younger and went to law school, and then especially in this part of Ohio, this part of Ohio explicitly. Mm-hmm. I had come from a world where women and people of color were CEOs, and led big organizations, for-profit and non-profit alike. Mm-hmm. This part of the world, it seems to me, you do not have that. In fact, you 
mm-hmm. are leading one of the largest budgets and number of employees in the region, mm-hmm. if not the as a woman. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that needs to be taken into consideration. And one of the things I found as a funder or when we were doing things, we're all doing it kind of from the gut. There wasn't consideration being taken from that conversation of lived experience. Saw a lot of CEOs that people would say, well, I, kind of an I know best attitude. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you, you, you're not considering the data that could be available to you. And you're mm-hmm. not talking to people who are affected by this. And so going to that conversation and kind of owning it, I think, would be very helpful to this community. Mm-hmm. And we've got great people to do that. And I think there's a will to do it. I'm seeing a big difference even in the last few years around folks who, and I, you know, I think since Mr. Floyd's murder and that sort of thing, there, there mm-hmm. is an appreciation for those conversations need to happen. But I, I was just struck by after living in so many other communities how that was particularly difficult here. Mm-hmm. So I think keep on that. And then keep reflecting on how much we do need so many different conversations included in the decision-making about where resources go. Mm -hmm. And for students, it's great because they are thinking about it in an academic sense, but then they're also living it. And they come at it with lived experience, but also that capacity to Mm -hmm. apply academic standard and research and that sort of thing. So I think that our colleges here are essential. And hearing from these students is one of the most important things. Because they're trying to aspire to be, you know, who they want to be in life and to create a better situation for their families. So they come, they can be so, such strong advocates in a way that almost no one else could. Because to your point, they see it from multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I think that our students, I think students in general throughout the country, regardless of what kind of institution they're at, don't always recognize the power of their own voice and their experience and the ability to be able to share you know, the good, the bad, the indifferent, where we have opportunity as well as where we've had successes. And so I think that their voice is incredibly important. Going back to the data a little bit, they're very comfortable with the data. They're very comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's the older generations that have sort of struggled <laughs> with like, well, why do I need to do this? Or they don't trust it. Or, you know, even the conversation around AI, they get they mm-hmm. get very nervous. The younger generations, it's just expected. And Absolutely. it's expected you would share it. And enhance it. And and so the comfort level, and I think that in turn between, you know, these conversations and getting more comfortable with those and then comfortable with the data, they will lead mm-hmm. and make this a very different um, prospect, I think, for families. My goal, I always joke, is if we do things right, I'd like the United Way to be out of business someday because mm-hmm. we've done all the work really well. And organizations like that aren't as needed. You mm-hmm. know? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that we get to the point where, yeah. we, where we all are uh, out of business in certain aspects. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kind of, I always loved Star Trek as a kid because it always seemed like that's what they had aspired to. And then they were just going through the universe seeking, you know, <laughs> discovery and, you know, because we had worked everything out around, you know, the issues that plague us now, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Star Trek was always fun. <laughs> I have good memories of that as a kid because my older sisters in particular were Trekkies. And so, you know, the whole, you know, we'd walk to the store in the summer, get our snacks, and then come sit down with the fan going in the summer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. sitting down watching Star Trek with your snacks. So as a leader in our area and in the nonprofit sector, what advice do you give people in general who want to make a difference in our community? 
most importantly, find the time to volunteer. And, you know, and that can look so different from organization to organization, but hopefully you'll meet some new people, new perspective, that sort of thing. Because I mm-hmm. think that really helps indoctrinate you into what you want to be, not just as a volunteer, but maybe philanthropically, if you mm-hmm. have a few dollars to give. And, you know, whenever you do that, you start getting a lot of reporting from these organizations mm-hmm. that helps you remain educated on what is, you know, happening, I think, with the folks you want to impact and the lives you want to see improve. And it's great because, you know, everybody has an interest of some kind and some it's all the way over into the performing arts to mm-hmm. what might be considered very health and human services based, you know, situations, even like around homelessness or, you know, but there's such a spectrum of opportunity to, I think, engage that way. And I would hope that people take a moment to, and this is, I love my pets. I love animals. I really do. But it's an interesting thing when you see the rise over the years and resources and all that sort of thing, which is great. Mm-hmm. But got to take good care of people and children and older mm-hmm. folks and that sort of thing. And so I always, when you're in there for, you know, the pets, just <laughs> for just a second, think about the people too. Because um, it's it's been an interesting thing to watch in the philanthropic space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you, learning more about the United Way, how we support some of the same people in our communities. And um, I wish you the best of luck. Um, And it was an absolute pleasure having you on the Conversations podcast. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. And I look forward to our future conversations about our organizations working together because it's so exciting to see where the really endless opportunities are to do that kind of thing. I agree. Thank you. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us. I am so inspired by your efforts on behalf of everyone in our community. Thank you for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe to Conversations to join us for future episodes. Next time, we'll talk to Kate Sommerfeld from Promatica. Until then, take care. <music>